Hello listener, before we get into this episode of Fever FM, I just wanted to ask one small request of listeners. As I'm sure you're aware, podcasting has some costs associated with it. Up until this point, we have been covering those costs, which is not a very good long-term strategy. So this is the point where I come cap in hand and see if there are people out there willing and able to uh, make a small contribution. If that is in fact you uh, and you enjoy the podcast, or perhaps like the sound of Dave's voice, you can head to patreon.com slash the yellow fever crew and you'll see a bunch of membership uh, tiers there starting at just $2 a month. I will chuck a, a link in the show notes so you don't get lost in the maze that is Patreon. So if you are able, please uh, head there and, and check out those tier of options. That's probably the extent of my pitch. I'm not the greatest salesman. So without any delay, uh, here is the latest episode of Fever FM. <laughs> I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Welcome to Fever FM. Doesn't matter how much of a disaster this is, it's still going to be better than the kit man's job for Western United on the weekend. Uh, welcome Cam, Dale and Dave. Uh, happy catastrophe week after. <laughs> Post-catastrification. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, I guess I should give some background to those who didn't know. Um, Western United showed up with the wrong kit. And so the the Knicks manager was it or kit man, Kim? It was the Knicks kit man, Jack Mapp. Yeah. He did the uh, hour long return journey to Upper Hut to collect all of the gear, and obviously was unable to find find uh, Bozidar Krayev's shirt in the. But did find the a short that this created. But yeah, it was uh, Sam playing in the shorts number eleven and the shirt number forty nine. Not sure how that went over with the referees, but you know it wasn't actually our fault. So it's uh, awesome that they was able to make a solution, even was if it was just a fifteen minute delay. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to find out if there is any repercussions for Western around that, right? Because this clash would have been clear from the the registrations and whatever system they're using using to manage this. You know, in in local football, you know, it'd be a comet equivalent, right? That it would have been very clear what kit we were playing in because we apparently. We're always intending to play in our um, our away kit. So they're the ones who screwed that. And if it was any other situation, you'd expect a fine for them. Um, so I'd, I'd be interested to know whether or not that actually gets imposed or whether because we fixed it for them, they get a free pass. You'd hope they certainly get a like sternly worded email or something being like, oi, not again. It's a, not our away kit. It's our alternate home strip. That's not how kits work, Cam. No. It is. It is in this situation. We play in the same the, in each kit the same number of times throughout the season. So oh, it's we'll not, tell Domi you're you're a good little minion, mate. It's okay. Just yeah, it's fine. We all we all know you're towing the company line, and it's okay. But that's yeah. not how kits work. And I'm gonna tow f***ing hard. We should add that this isn't the first time this has happened. Um, there was a Jets youth game, I believe, where the opposition team forgot kits entirely, and so had to play in the Jets. Alternate away kit. kit, yeah, yeah. So, were... don't pander to Cam here. It was their away kit. That's what happened. I uh, I actually had a chat to um, 
Ives on the sidelines about this whilst we're waiting for the teams to come out and asked him if he'd ever experienced that. And he said he had a couple of times as, uh, experienced it as well. Um, and one of the times he had to play in an opposition's away kit as well, um, which is a disaster for a team with their sponsors, obviously. It's not, not the best. Um, let's get into the game. Uh, the team uh, for the Knicks was Paulson, Kelly Hill, Wooten, Sermon, Payne, Altay, Rufa, Pennington, Paul, Crive, and Barbarossa. No real surprises there, gents, I guess. Uh, obviously, Pennington and Altay coming back in. Uh, were you surprised about any of that? Taken as no. a given? No. Uh, maybe, maybe old not starting, but you know, he's. As I mentioned, being nursing an injury and managing time might be Alte's first start at home for for quite a while. He's usually an away specialist. He definitely was earlier on because I remember uh, Timmy Payne having some loud discussions about his positioning and what he should be doing um, and where he should be and how he should have been there a long time ago. Uh, but he, he, I did note that... Um, Payne doesn't seem to yell at him as quite as much, so he's obviously picking picking up the uh, game plan. And someone who did pick up the game plan um, won Nico Pennington. Um, he had a bit of a good game. It wouldn't go, wouldn't be on a remiss, remiss to say that it was his best game in a yellow jersey. I think uh, could have been wearing black too, by the way, but uh, it was definitely his best game as a Knicks player. I don't know. Rain like, on the parade, I, Dave. I, no, no, I think he had a good game. But I, I think if you remove the goal, did he Goals. do anything significant? No, he one's an Oggy. So no, that's not his goal. Um, He's a little unlucky about that, though. Oh, it was well wide before the Oggy goes in. To, to be fair, well I was on the opposite side and could not actually see the ball go in anyway. So, yeah. But, um... I like I think he had a decent game. I don't want to take him away from that, but I think I think the goals maybe make it seem a bit better than it might have otherwise. You know, being that directly involved in the the only two goals in the game obviously makes you look good. Um, but the goal he scored, like it's it's a great piece of team play. Do I think it's individual brilliance from him though? Not really. You know, right yeah. place, right time. Did did the business. Um, yeah. No, so I don't want to take away. I don't want to say he had a bad game because I don't think he did. But I think I think a lot of people played quite well this game, him included. That's probably a good point. The um, team goal, as you say, a number of passes strung together, and he's just come in and made that Tim Brown late run and uh, smashed it with his head. No bandage required, so apparently that's not necessary for late runs into the box. This is kind of, I, I guess, something they've been looking to do for a while. We've seen Pennington start to make those runs um, throughout the season. Is this just kind of everything slotted together this time or is this kind of a tactic that gets wheeled out at home maybe uh, he's definitely seemed to be playing more of the uh box to box midfielder than perhaps previous seasons i think i think if he kind of tagged him as a as a defensive midfielder or nothing else and i think you know chief e has i guess maybe seen his you know fitness or work rate or so he has he has popped up late into these boxes you know like it was it few weeks ago we probably should have won a penalty against I want to say Melbourne victory away from home like he does he does pop up in and around the box and I guess yeah I guess in, in this instance the two two goals were very well worked goals um like some quite good build-up play some very um you know lots of sort of one-touch football that you know cut them open um and, and some wide deliveries that were, were dangerous in both instances 
do you think that this has that this kind of more defined role for him has made a more defined role for Rufa? Because I, I saw this weird stat that he had made the most tackles in the A-League and it was by, I think, something like 20 tackles more than the next person. And then he proceeded to make another five in the first 20 minutes in this game. It does, do you think that having that box-to-box in front of him actually makes Rufa's job a lot easier? Maybe. I, it's, I mean, it's hard to know, I think. Um, yeah, certainly he is the the ball winning midfielder. Uh, you know, Pennington can can chip in every now and again, but certainly not to any extent that that Rufa does. Uh, but you know, I think for Rufa, we have seen times at which he's ventured forward when he's not found just the space. For penalties. Um, he's not afraid to kind of. <laughs> no, well, yeah, there's been a times where he's sort of you know drifted past a couple of players and and looked almost Perlo like and and drifting past players so when he when he sees the opportunity i think for him he he's good at understanding when to do that and when not to i think that he he knows his his game awareness and game situation i think is is really you know top level at the moment um and is really sort of push forward when he needs to um um i'll just put a call out to special one now to get rufa pennington light uh, t-shirts done. I think you. I think you've coined something there, Warbs. Okay. Oh, not Pennington light. Uh, sorry, sure. um, Pierlo light. Oh God, that's <laughs> God. that's a still. Wow, you've really screwed that up, buddy. Still having a better day than the kit man for Western. <laughs> I mean, that's such a public uh, public outing of your poor job performance, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> one literally one job is yeah. to take the kit over. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's not like you're an assistant coach who also brings the kit. It's like you are the kit man. That that's your entire. Thing. <laughs> that's your job. Yeah, I love the. Um, have you guys seen the the graph that uh, the thing did. that Jack? Uh, sorry, um, yeah, that Monk did uh, for the Jack Map Dash. Absolutely fantastic. It's um, it might turn into a bit of an iconic little uh, Phoenix um, moment. If, over if time, you get a chance to see it, it's a laser uh, laser engraving on a bit of plywood of the map. And the 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 trip, the fifty four was it fifty four kilometer round trip that uh, Jack had to do to pick up the jerseys. Oh, still makes me laugh. Um, so that was two minutes in uh, the Pennington goal. It really felt like this was not a game of equal teams for the beginning. What was it? It just were there anything that made you think that Western could come back into this, Dave? Oh, only classic fan pessimism and cynicism, right? Like there was nothing out there on the field that made me feel that way. But looking at some of the names on their team sheet, you think these guys could create something. But I mean, yeah, they they didn't look up to much. It looked pretty toothless, to be honest. And, and I remember me and Dale were talking about it, saying it'd be great to put this game to bed in kind of the first 10, 15 minutes. And it looked plausible to do that. You know, you could have been up by two or three and the game's done. Yeah, I think I think we we played well. We cut them open, and we we looked dominant for pretty much the entire game. I I had a bit of a weird feeling in this game, in that even though we were only up one or two nil, I still felt very comfortable, and that is a weird sensation as a Knicks fan. Did you guys get that impression from watching them, or were you still? Did you still have the typical put it away, get that third? I mean, they last by a long way, and, and it's clear why. Like they they really struggle to score goals. You know, basically it's pass the ball to Pena and 
hope he does something. You know, I think he's taken the most shots in the league or something like that. And in this game, he was trying to pin them from everywhere. You know, the closest they got was that free kick that hit the crossbar. And I think, and really, I think if it was anything lower, I think Paulson probably saves it. Um, he's kind of there. I think got a decent jump that um, if it was lower, he would have been able to tip it over. So apart from that, they did, you know, bugger all. And that's not, not surprising. And I think, and, and yeah, I think when they took Alex, yeah, Alex Rufer off at 60 minutes, um, and I know he was apparently nursing a, a knock, that's quite a vote of confidence in how your team's going at, at you know, 30 minutes out and still going, I'll take off my most important and captain. midfielder and captain. And he didn't look particularly happy about it, but in anything after that, yeah, they had a little bit more ball, but didn't do anything with it. So um, it, was, it was hard to see where they were, where, where they were going to get anything from it. I think it was summed up, their performance was summed up by one, the one chance that I think they actually did have genuinely to score where they were, so in the second half, they had the ball wide on the left and they crossed it across the box, passed everybody uh, to a striker who was standing at the back, but they passed it behind him by three or four metres. And like yeah. it was, uh, the, he was he was completely unmarked. If he just needed the right ball to be passed. And I just think that kind of summed up everything about Western United in the final third in that game. There was no other point there where they looked even vaguely yeah. like scoring. And I think I think I can't remember a, a save Paulson made. And I certainly believe the one that hit the crossbar was going over, and he was comfortably comfortable. Like he, he let it do that because he knew where it was going. So I, I, yeah, there was no um, there was no way in the world I felt they were ever going to come back. Dale, you mentioned Rufa coming off. Um, they also took Al Tay off as well. Uh, so Conchi and Old coming on really scream when you're subbing most of your mid your defensive midfield. It's kind of it doesn't speak to the um, being worried about getting hit in that last thirty minutes. I want to get your opinion, your expert opinions on the uh, pain incident where he went through on goal. I think uh, around about the half hour mark, and the keeper has taken the ball, I believe, inside the box, but slid out. Um, I've had a few people suggest VAR should have got involved. But I didn't think it was a VARable offence because it wouldn't be a red and it wouldn't be a penalty. Is that right? I believe that's correct, yeah. Um, it happened right in front of me, and you are correct in you're saying it. He, his collection of the ball was clean and fine. There was never a foul there. That like He beat pain to the ball. There was no yeah. issue. So the only issue here is that does he handle it as he slides out the box? Now, the lino was right there. They could see. He certainly has slidden out of the box, uh, but I don't recall ever touching the hand. The last image I have of him is just before he crosses the line and is still within, like, in his chest, within his arms, uh, but sliding along the ground. So I don't, but I don't have any evidence that it was touching his arm outside the box. Um, So the lino had the best view, 100%. if, uh, If it was a problem, they could have caught it, so... Well, at that point, though, the Lino was convinced it was offside. Yeah, you make a good point, actually, right? So, yeah. Lino wasn't really caring about that because she was calling the offside. Um, But I I think it's an interesting one because I don't think it was offside. Like, I've looked back at the the still frames and it looks onside to me. Um, Obviously, you never quite get the same angles as if, say, VAR had looked at it, where you'd suddenly be showing every camera angle and instead you're stuck with what you got on the broadcast. But it looks onside to me. Yeah, and I don't know. I think I think the only reason maybe it could be red cardable is if you were talking dog so, 
but I don't think it's dog so here because I think the the initial collection's clean enough yep. that there's not a foul at that point. The foul occurs later, but maybe VAR might have wanted to have a look to confirm that was the case, and you might have ended up going, well, we've seen this other foul, right? Because if that's not taken cleanly, the keeper let's say that happens outside the box and takes it clean, but using the the hands outside the box, you would be talking red card, right? So if they were interested and want to look for that reason, you might've discovered the other part, but yeah, I agree. I don't think it's a red card here. The only thing is there's a foul. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing there at all, bar possibly a handball, which as you say, is by the by if the lino is not looking for it. Yeah. I think if, if he deliberately handballed it outside the box to start off with, yeah. to stop uh, Timpe getting onto the ball, then I think that's a completely different question. But I think yeah. the fact he's you know, collected the ball in a slide out and goes, whoop, I better let go of it, and whether that's over or not, I mean, it's hard to tell. But I, I, I find it much harder to say that if he'd let go of it a fraction earlier that Payne would have got to the ball. You know, like it's... Yeah, I completely agree. And I think I think even trying to slow down the, the broadcast footage of it over the line... It's very hard to tell. It looks pretty pretty well done from the keeper, I'll say, that at about the right frame is the frame he's releasing. So I think he's probably done all right. Um, as you say, with, yeah. a, with a high-speed camera from a different angle, like you might have had cam, you might have caught a frame where it wasn't right. But I think general vision, it looks okay or okay enough. I looked back through all my frames and the, the frame of him collecting the ball off pain is is up on one of my pages because it's it's a it's a clean collection it's really well done by the keeper so but the last yeah. frame i had i there i shared it with dale and uh it's it shows he's about to slide out and the ball is there but i didn't get anything uh beyond that as i was tracking pain being the phoenix player we'll let you off this time cam yeah it, it, this was a bit of a weird one i i, I want to talk about my villain for the day um and i'm sure you know who i'm talking about Josh Riston. Uh, uh, I don't know how to describe him because apparently we have young people who listen to this. Am I allowed to call him a bellend? You're allowed to say whatever you like. That's absolutely fine, buddy. I'm going to call him an uncoordinated bellend because the number of times he kicked players nowhere near the ball. He's just swung his leg and booted someone. Was it your photo cam where he's nailed... David Ball from behind basically looks like he's kicked him in the nuts. And the ball's just lying beside him. Is it? He's kicked the ball into Ball's balls from behind. I think the shoulder charge to Pennington yep. was the worst one for me. It was relatively early on, and he just straight up shoulder barges him to the jaw. Pennington goes down clutching his face, and the ref doesn't even care. It's like, that's a head injury. You've watched it. You saw it happen. And there was no intent to play the ball at all. And he gets away without a yellow. And it's at about that moment that I believe the commentary is talking about how he's already on, I can't remember what the threshold is, is it seven or eight? He's one shy of the automatic two-game suspension, having already served the automatic one-game suspension. I'm like, he easily committed a yellow card offence in this game. Easily. Um, and several of them were quite bad. He's really struggling with his season, obviously. He's not happy. That shoulder charge, um, another one of the fans turned around to me and said, he, he's literally put his arms across his chest to do it. That's a, that's a yellow card in league, let alone football. Yeah. Oh, it, it's probably a red card. It's shoulder to head contact. In in the current rugby and league rules, I think there's no mitigation there. 
and and it looked bad live. It looks way worse on the the broadcast later. Way. I got worse. some still frames of it too, and um, I wish I didn't I didn't use. Uh, but I mean, it nasty. really must speak to the frustration level because I mean, Risden Risden's been around, and he's played in some successful teams at times. It must speak to the frustration he's feeling, and maybe the rest of the team are feeling, just getting slapped around every week. I'm not sure that it excuses that behaviour, though. I mean, that's pretty violent. At what point does the league actually get involved with the off-the-ball things? The, the key thing, right, is the ref doesn't think this was a yellow card or even... I don't even know if he gave a foul for that one. Um, he did. So well. it, it's one of those ones that's like, why would the league get involved in something that the referee didn't even think was a problem? So it's a really hard one to come in and overrule your referees on stuff like that. Like, stuff that was off the ball that no one saw, I think, different story. But to come in and rule over the top of a referee who watched it happen and thought it was fine would be a big, like, vote of no confidence in your referees, right? So I don't think you can do that. But maybe behind the scenes, there's a little bit of uh, professional management going on with uh, with those referees. Because I don't think that's good enough. Oh, but... You've got to start at that kind of point with, as you say, shoulder-to-head contact. You've got to start talking about... Um, workplace welfare, right? These are paid players in the league. Workplace safety is important. You know, you shouldn't get shouldered in the head when you go into your office. I'm assuming that doesn't happen to you, Dale? Yeah. Not usually, no. Not most days. No. Okay. Well, if it doesn't happen to Dale, then obviously it happens to no one. You've got VAR who didn't think it was a problem either, though, right? And same with this one where ball cop studs very high to the body. I, I, I'm going to say it's high on his chest, but certainly very high to the point that we're, we're seeing that any studs above the ankle seems to be given a red card in other games. Studs to the chest apparently don't even warrant to look. So I don't know. I feel like you've got a couple of referees, the one on the field who saw it and the VAR, who are both saying these are fine. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a strange one for me. The one on ball was a red, 100% a red. There's no, there's no argument there that that person should have been sent. That was... And, and yet, why didn't VAR have a look? That's the part that gets me. Because I agree. I think for mine, it's just dead set. But they did. They weren't even interested. That's, I don't get it. What's the, yeah. Much as I don't want to agree with Mark Rudan, I think he has a point that maybe the refereeing standard has some inconsistencies. Well, yeah, you make a good point. You bring up the, the um, Western Wanderers game. Yes, that was definitely careless, possibly reckless. Got a red card. He got upset about it, you know, because that's him. He gets upset about anything and doesn't go his way. But yet this seems way, like, the the actual um, result wasn't as bad as it could have been by any stretch. But the possibility for, you know, a kick in the chest, caving, you know, cracking ribs or, you know, having some serious damage, that it's not cool. I, I just don't get that. You can't go, I mean, just raising the boot when we talk about raising the boot and going near an ankle or a shin, right? You mention it. This is a meter above that. Is there anything you guys want to bring up about this game? Because I just feel like the football was, we played well, they played shit, I didn't learn anything. I mean, it was just very comfortable, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, comfortable. Exactly yeah, like the word. We weren't really stretched or challenged. Clinical, bam, bam, easy as you like. I think the thing it shows, though, if you want to take anything out of it, is Chiefy and and the tactics we're playing aren't at all interested in kind of 
putting a team to the sword. We're not we're not just going to punish a team paying, playing badly because if you were going to see that, this was the game you would right. This was this was a game where they played poorly enough and we played well enough. This could have been five nil or more, right? But they're not interested in doing that. It is still about really high quality chances and finishing those chances and then just being solid the rest of the game. You know, you don't have to be out there hunting goals the whole 90 minutes. And we're pretty happy to not do that. Whether we're worried about that comes our final series or something, I don't know. But if you're doing it that comfortable, do you need to win by five instead of just two? I've got an interesting, or something I found interesting in that um, we saw Chiefy rolling subs early, but he did them in the midfield. You've got young, out-of-form strikers, young and or out-of-form strikers, um, Supic, um, Van Haddam. He didn't roll them on, didn't look to get them involved. I thought if you're going, okay, we've got this game one, the no-risk option to pull on a new striker and just give him some time, and he didn't take that. Uh, he was going to put on Van Haddam before Pennington went down, getting he got clattered, went off injured, so... That he was about to make that sub and then that injury happened. So then um, Isaac Hughes went on and they just shuffled him into the back line instead. So although that, to be fair, that was about 10 minutes to go. So not exactly the huge amount of time. But yeah, I guess, yeah, Conchie's getting a, another chunk of minutes, I guess. He's been given the opportunity to show that he should be part of the you know, match day squad when Salas comes into this, into this, into the team. But I guess beyond that, I think, yeah, and, and, and even when it was comfortable, geez, not like, doesn't seem to be one just to give minutes to people because they're there you know like he's had uh what's the name rodriguez on the bench a few times and could have chucked him on for a couple of minutes but hasn't for various reasons it's just, i guess kind of interesting one he's not he's not just prepared to throw people on just for the sake of it for, for three minutes to go yeah but still i i would have been thinking you know that zawada's out for an extended period because even if he once he's over his injury he has no match fitness by now You've got to be thinking Van Haddam or Supic or Sloan Rodriguez will need to play some minutes at some stage. When better to give them, you know, time? Yeah, I mean, if there was a if if ever there was a chance to give Van Hat a half hour or something, right? This was probably it. And we all we all have said previously, you know, we haven't seen quite enough yet, but maybe a goal will bring the confidence it needs. Maybe that'll be the catalyst for you know sparking something in him or you know I, I mean we see a, we see a lot of enterprise from him he's got a couple assists you know maybe this was a chance to to show some of those wares even if it wasn't a goal so I, I kind of agree with you I think if there was an opportunity this was probably it so it's interesting that Chiefy didn't take it but at the same time it's not like he didn't give some kids a run because he absolutely did you know so he obviously just is prioritizing slightly different things there but yeah his reasons are his reasons uh, trust in Chief, I guess. He's been doing an okay job thus far. Let's whiz on, because I, I just can't talk about this game anymore, because it was just, yeah. It was comfortably and professionally done. Thank you, uh, Dale, for that that wonderful word of the day. Um, the uh, next game you mentioned uh, there, Dale, was MacArthur. Um, they have a an AFC game midweek as well, and so they have to back up two games in a in a week, so a little bit tougher for them. Actually, when is that game, Dale? Do you know? They're literally playing right now. Oh, okay. They are one 0 up. Uh, it looks like they've had a, they've got pretty strong starting eleven. Yep. Okay, that's makes sense. Uh, they're two 0 up now. Sixty-two minutes in. 
uh, Davila scoring the first one. You may remember him from such... Spoiler alerts for listeners figuring out exactly when we're recording. You now have us pinned down to the minute. Oscar Zawada is still balked. Do we know when he's coming back? Well, they said a month. Do we even know what... When he he re-injured himself, they said a month. Is it a new injury or the the existing one is just related? I thought it was a new one. Yeah, Yeah, my understanding was it was new. Yeah, I I thought it was new, but the same leg. But anyway. Um, So no Oscars. They've not put a date on it. Yeah, Yeah, they've not put a date on the actual return. Yeah, so no Zawada. I don't think anyone else is out. Maybe Ben Old is still managing. Oh, Sutton. Sutton would be out. Maybe? Or is he week to week? Yeah, I think uh, Chief said after the game or before the game that he was still getting results from the scans, but it perhaps wasn't looking as bad as they first first thought. Okay, so possibly Sutton, but definitely no Zawada and maybe old, maybe not. On to the um, Phoenix women's team. They have had a tournament on the uh, Olympic qualifying in the islands. Um, So a a bunch of the players have been out there. Kayla Foster, Bree Edwards, Annalie Longo, Kate Taylor, Macy Fraser, and Mackenzie Barry. Um, The Knicks women do have a game against uh, Weston, though. So they'll be missing large numbers of the squad and possibly uh, Mariana Speckmeyer as well, who went off injured in that last game. Um, uh, I haven't heard if she's recovered or not yet. No word as yet. Now, it's a pity this game couldn't be shifted. They Obviously, they managed to get last, game, last weekend's game moved because of the number of players out on international duty. It's a pity that they can't. I don't know what the reasoning was behind that, uh, but I know there was no chance of getting this one shifted, which is going to be pretty... Brutal for them, I think. It's going to be old school Phoenix international windows, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, back in the day. Also frustrating that I, I heard a rumour that uh, our game against, the women's game against Sydney in a few weeks is going to get postponed because Sydney have a bunch of Australian players playing in a similar competition. So they get their one, apparently again, they're getting their, that one moved. But we'll see. I would hazard a guess it's not as high a percentage of players as we face either. No. It'll be like two women. Yes. No, you have to have minimum. That's three. I think it's three that you have to be losing before they'll postpone a game. Yeah, how many are we missing? One, two, three, six. four, five, six. Nice. So enough for two games then. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we get two. I know we've up. already shifted this. Our game that was supposed to be on the 11th has been shifted to like midweek at the end of March and like the second to last week of the season before the playoffs. So if there's another postponement, then it'll have to be in a midweek game, another midweek game at some point, or ball forward. I don't know. There's, yeah, they're, they're running out of weekends to uh, weeks to play. I think basically. we would have preferred midweek games though, right? And, and it's a bit rough on us as well, given we already lost a game to Unite Round. Um, mm. You know, like... We're getting a bit fleeced on a few fronts here, but it's hardly even worth a mention compared to some of the ways we used to get stuffed around on the draw and the international windows and stuff. There, right? So it's, yep. you know, <laughs> it sucks, but it is what it is. But I, I mean, as you say, I think it's going to be it's going to be rough for them, right? Their away form hasn't been great, and now take out half the squad. 
I, and they're playing Western, who are playing really well and sitting second in the league, and yep. yeah, pretty much dominating everyone they come across. So it's gonna, yeah, it's a bad time to have to play Western, particularly, um, but it's a rubbish time to have to play with six, at least five of those would see a regular sort of minutes in that team, and um, Breeze played what three games for us this season already as well. So yeah, it's um, it's. I don't think it's going to be particularly pretty. I don't hold out much hope for this game this weekend. Can I throw a bit of hope in there? I do recall um, a couple of those international windows where we sneaked wins. It might have even been a Chris Greenacre coached one away where we only had three regulars or something and the rest of the players, I didn't even know who they were. That was a one-all draw with Hart. Um, second round of the season back in 2012, I think, something like that. They had... Um, Tom Biss, I remember, played for the, um, I think that's his name, that played for the Phoenix in that game. Second round of the season, 2012. Pretty sure that was it, because Ricky was away with the uh, All-Whites at the same time. Played Hart at Amy Park, ended one all. Yeah, I think uh, listener Jacob Spoonley played in that game, and I believe uh, Aaron Clapham was on the bench, if I recall. Yeah, yeah, they had uh, a couple of, couple of guys from Curtis Christchurch United on the bench oh, for that yeah, one. Yeah, that's right. Oh, the ginger menace almost getting his break. Hmm. That was coming off a previous week beating Sydney 2-0 with um, uh, Del Piero playing for them as well. Yeah, I, I have a funny feeling Clapham didn't go on because there was that stand-down period when you dropped down from professional to amateur. It was like 28 days, and it was going straight into the National League. So he was like, I'll play if you desperately need, but no point to chuck him on for 10 minutes, so I'm going to have to not play for a month afterwards. I guess the, the bright side is at least this game's away from home. So even without these players, we would have lost one by one goal. So um, anything other <laughs> Dale. than that, something different. I mean, it'd be a lot worse if it was a home game. Dale. <laughs> you might be right, but that's not the point. Can we can we play a game of everyone pick what they think their starting 11 is going to be? I, I couldn't name oh, you 11 players. God, no. no. Okay, let's, let's, okay. It, Foster and goal. McMeekin left back. Lake, uh, Jabba, yeah. Davidson. That's a back five, yep. right? That's, so got yeah, five that's, yeah. Do you think Breslin's going to be central midfield with no. Wynnum? Wynnum will start, yep. Well, yeah, Wynnum, A- I think, Al- is fair. Elliot, Elliot, Main, Cox. And Cox? And one more. Two more? Who's playing six? Six. No, you're looking, you need six. Who's playing six? I think, I think, I think. Someone like Breslin's probably going to fit in there or something. She's not a six, though. Oh, I mean, maybe like Brazendale. Yeah, but she's got legs and arms, mate. That's probably the requirement yeah. at the moment. I think I think you're much more likely to see a Brazendale play, Daisy Brazendale play. Okay. Because that's like that's position, right? She's a six or an eight, so I think she's much more likely to go. Which is a tough ask for the girl. She's, I think she's sixteen, seventeen years old. She's still quite young. Um, to be going up against a team high flying like Western United, that's uh, quite a job to ask. But I think you I think you got to have someone next to it, don't you? You can't be asking her to do that by no. yourself. No, that's no. A bit rough. you can't. And in that situation, who are you going to play? You, again, um, you're, you're just running really light on experience in there. Oh, Mc, I think maybe McMeekin could slot in there, perhaps. She's very combative. Yeah, but then you've got no left back. You make a point. Yeah, maybe Breslin could play left back. 
I don't know. It's a, a, yeah. Like, I'm glad it's not my decision to make. At least one person's going to have to be out of position. Yeah. I think that's the reality. Uh, let's move on to our Patreon questions. We put uh, a call out to the our patrons to see if they had any questions, seeing as we were only talking one game. And one of the questions that kind of applies to what we were just talking about was one from Steve who has said, who drops out so that Salas can come into the match day squad? I thought this is interesting. So, uh, Houston Salas, Costa Rican player, now in New Zealand primarily a defensive midfielder, but can play, can cover fullback and eight as well. What happens with him? Does Chiefy tinker? Does he bring him in? I think he tinkers because he has been tinkering. Like throughout the season, he's, he's, he's made changes. He's prepared to select, I call it earlier in the season, horses for courses. His selection is specifically tailored to whatever game they're playing at that time. He's not particularly worried about, you know, individuals. He will still manage minutes as necessary and manage injuries as necessary. But that tactic and whoever lines up in whatever position on that particular given day is specifically designed for that team. So whilst I would say it's most likely that Altay will be the one that doesn't start, that may not be the case because he still may, you know, Pennington may be out with a knock in managing minutes. Rufa might be out with a knock in managing minutes. So it's hard to say anyone in particular, but forced to say a name would be Altay will probably miss out on the starts. I think um, it's interesting that we've got two away games and this is when we usually play uh, Rufa Penton and Altay in the midfield. My gut is that Salas will come into the match day squad in place of Conchi and will probably get, you know, 10 minutes in that MacArthur game and maybe 20 minutes in the Perth game or something like something similar to that probably for Altay I, I suspect just to see his fitness and how he fits in and that kind of thing on the face of it he's probably a better player than Altay based on his pedigree I guess then there's a question of is does he go ahead of any other two in that sort of picking order um, longer term but I guess we'll probably only know after we've seen a few minutes but I think Conchie's probably the one that, that gets pinned in the first round anyway Dave? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I won't be surprised if we see him get a bit more minutes than that, but I do think initially we're going to see him off the bench. I think most likely he comes on replacing Altay, and yeah, Conchie's the obvious one to drop out of a matchday squad. But I think the key thing probably is, both both with how he'll be used and why we've signed him, is this is the point of the season where injuries take their toll you're going to have suspensions etc i suspect when they were looking at this they were maybe hoping to manage it around the the pennington roofy yellow cards as well you know have some cover there in time but this may just as much be a a cover um position that they're holding as it is a starting 11 position i think looking at his quality he's probably good enough to be in the starting 11 but he may well have been you know talked to and and spoken up as a rotation player rather than a you're a bolted on starter for us you know you're coming out here to help cover positions and you know be give us a bit of depth um you'll get some minutes but you're not going to be starting and that might be the discussion they had um but it's an opportunity to show his wares overseas because i think i'm right in saying this is his first time overseas so you know it's a it's a shop window for him my understanding is that his uh club team his uh, his um has been playing up until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so hopefully he's got some match fitness and it's just a question of him fitting in. I think he hasn't been getting many minutes for them though. The season is still going, but I don't think he's been getting many, many minutes oh, from right. when I looked a few weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, he wasn't available on 
Saturday more due to jet lag and to having arrived in the country quite yeah. recently after the internationals for Costa Rica rather than necessarily match fitness. So as you said, well, I see probably wouldn't have started. It would have been on the bench. I think it would have been, um, he'd need to get here a little bit earlier to make that work. Yeah. And I think, I think as well, just worth noting, like chief, he's got, you know, your top of the table, you've got a squad that's working. The only reason I don't think he starts is not necessarily just match fitness. I just think chief, you would rather see how he fits in off the bench when you know when the machine's ticking well, why would you why would you mess with it in terms of changing your starting eleven just because someone's showing up? I don't think Chiefy's that kind of guy, so I think he's more likely to get bench first game, and if it goes well and he's looking the business, then maybe he slots right in. Yeah, fair call. Um, I'm going to go straight to a, a well-known Patreon subscriber, um, one Dale Warbs FC. That's me. It is you. Uh, do you want to read out your question, Dale? Because I think it's a good one. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I've been thinking about this one long and hard. I was thinking about back to the the Waitangi game match and wondering, I guess, what you guys make of it and do you think that should be a some kind of standing fixture longer term, perhaps with or without Black Knights, Kings FC? I think it's... I was very surprised at the turnout. I thought it would just be treated like a, you know, a Sunday game, effectively. And it was nice. Um, I, I didn't get to sit anywhere decent. And the hot takes behind me and in front of me were very interesting. Yeah, anytime they get more than 10,000, right? I, I think it's great. I, I think it, I agree. I think tying it into some kind of New Zealand fixture would be fantastic. Like if you're trying to pick a day to have a New Zealand derby, surely that's a day that makes sense. But I think as well, there's a little bit of a perfect storm element to what happened this year on that particular day that helps the crowd. And so anytime Waitangi Day is Monday or Friday-ized, um, just through the days it falls, I think it doesn't have the same impact because it does just become a long weekend and a lot of kind of non-football people head out of town, etc. You know, they, they have stuff on. And I think the reason you don't see it like a Sunday game is because it's not a Sunday, right? When it's on a Tuesday like that, you don't have the Sunday commitments you might have. You know, there's none of that kids' sport. There's none of the roast dinner with the family or whatever stuff you might have as your regular commitments. It's just a, a free hit of a day, right? And then we nailed it this year with perfect weather, free hit of a day. Some people had managed to, you know, take the extra day off and have a four-day weekend, but lots of them are coming back by then anyway. So I think it's I think it's an interesting one where you had a bit of a perfect storm and, and that works really well. But I don't think it would work every year exactly like that did. Yeah, I, th- I think tying it in with uh, the kids go free, I think, counters some of that because by this stage yeah. you know kids are back at school no parent wants to take their child away anymore um they've just had six weeks of them that's more than enough um experience here dale <laughs> well it's only one term and i've had enough already yeah so i think i think that helps i mean and and certainly um you know 12 i think 12k is you know somewhat inflated because of our our league position that's not going to be you know longer term but the kids go free games are, are generally at least nine ten depending on on how the season's going so once you sort of if you use that as your baseline, then chuck in a potential Auckland team. Yeah, you know, I think that creates a bit of a you know a spectacle that you could probably you know bake in at least five figures every every year. I'd say. Yeah, and I think that's slightly counter my own argument as well. The good thing about it falling on a Monday or a Friday is the uh, the element of being able to travel for the away fans as well. So if you are making a New Zealand derby, 
You know, it's a lot easier to go up to Auckland and watch a game if it's a three-day weekend than it is a standalone day. So it's, it might be a bit of swing and roundabout on those those Monday, Friday years. You get bigger away crowd, which is still money for the, the tickets, right? But I think that kind of single Tuesday day like that's really good for a home crowd, especially when you nail the weather. I, I think it's a it's a free, it's just an easy win to play the uh, New Zealand derby on Waitangi Day on in either Auckland or in Wellington. Uh, and I think once they have the women's and the men's teams, uh, both they should do it as a doubleheader uh, at the at the stadium at our end. Or in Auckland, I generally believe the next season, will our first game will be away to Auckland as a derby to, to kick off the season. I, I think that is almost a locked-in certainty, which means having a, uh, a derby on return leg on Waitangi Day is also a free a free win. I, honestly, I just I can't see a downside to try and do it. It'll be middle of the week next year. This is the perfect time of year to do it with the weather, as we talked about in Wellington. There is, it is the tie, the perfect storm to do it. So yeah, I think um, I hope though I've been on record talking about this previously anyway, so I think everyone realizes quite what a fan I am of this idea. So I really hope the club are looking into that because it it could be an easy way of getting a significant crowd. Just tying into that, what, what what do we think about Domi's, I guess, comments or call, or I don't know quite what to call it, around the one sold-out game a season can fund the club for the whole year? You know, Do you think that's something maybe they should actually explore as a target? You know, say, target one game a year and say, fill the stadium. You know, you see, obviously it's a different cause, etc., but it's kind of the argument he's making. You see charity events trying to do that stuff, right? Sell out seats to the stadium, the, what was it, the the silent night where you don't even turn up or whatever, you know, should should the Phoenix be targeting a year out, one fixture to say, everyone come to this one and keep the club alive? Is that is that a viable prospect or do we think that's stupid and, and begging? Do you, know, do you know what, mate? As, as an alternative, as something that we haven't had to try in the past because we haven't had a derby quarter game to uh, give us that opportunity, why not? Why not give it a shot? Um, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but you don't know if you don't try. And it's certainly not something that we can go, we've tried this before and it's failed because we haven't had the opportunity to. So if you are targeting a game, the home game against Auckland is the one to target. Waitangi Day would be the perfect example. I, a perfect time to have it. I have no issue with that, if they're trying to do that. I mean, I'm naturally sceptical. So I, I I don't think just sort of picking a game and going, everyone come to it is going to really work i think i guess the problem with the with the phoenix is at the moment is the big, biggest games at this stage touchwood it's going to be you know finals games which they don't from what i remember they don't actually get any money from so what they are wanting is the couple of games before the end of the season for them to be really good to help fund it i think that's what they should be that's what they should be pushing is just saying look if you come to these last couple of games and hopefully we're in a good position it, it i'm sure they'll they'll get them but that that's that's a, a much more attractive option than trying to pick a game in mid middle of the season. Go everyone come to this one. It's, I just don't think that's really going to work. Yeah. And I think, I think the proposition for it's tough as well, right? Cause you're kind of, you're asking people to be altruistic with it, but at the same time, they're a business and they can't pretend they're not. So saying save the club by coming to this one thing while you're also running a business is a, is a hard sell to convince people you're not just doing it for selfish reasons, which, I mean, you know, I don't think any of us believe Rob or Henry or whoever are putting in money selfishly, but that's a hard sell to your average on the street, right? Uh, I want to skip off this question because I, uh, I don't want to pander to 
Dale's questions because it seems a bit um, incestuous. We'll, we'll move on to a question that um, uh, Don M has asked about how do you manage the hope when thinking about how well the Knicks are doing? Well, I'm the wrong person to ask about this because I'm incessantly positive anyway and it, it irritates most people. So I, I don't bother managing it. I just like run with it and I'll just have a hard crash when we fail at the other end. It's fine. It's just, just deal and move on. So I probably definitely not the wrong person, no right person to be answering that one. Well, I'm going to say that there's a, there's a classic saying we have in, in Fever Towers, if you will, and it's the, it's the hope that kills you. And I, I think we all know that, right? Like, it, it's that constant hope, even in the face of us, you know, wooden spooning it. We all still, you know, you you start signing players for the next year and all of that stuff. And uh, suddenly you're thinking, man, this is going to be our season again, even though it's not. So I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. But I guess somehow I just always hope even when we're being terrible. So it's hard not to still be just as hopeful when we're winning. Yeah, I think we, yeah said throughout here about our, our our squad is quite thin but having said that we've managed these last three games where our squad has been extra thin and come out of the other side with an increased lead in the, in the table which god that that gets you a bit excited doesn't it i, I mean all it's going to take is a, is a couple of longer term like yeah a few more injuries to really yeah kill it but we did manage we did manage that little little blip pretty well um we could, you know could have got slightly more out of that brisbane game but you know to come out with five points with with players in and out of that that team for the last three or four games is is, is pretty um yeah is excellent i'm i'm not used to hearing this rampant positivity from everybody <laughs> this is this is this is really starting to uh to to make me feel uncomfortable boys this is just this isn't normal <laughs> people stealing your oxygen buddy i mean if that rampant positivity you have no idea what you sound like when you're talking, mate. Have you guys heard you guys? Honestly, though, you got, the negativity. No, the pessimism out of this um, out of the pods is just, it's a, its incredible. To be fair, though, it's a very um, uh, Phoenix fan trait to be ever so slightly pessimistic to try and, I guess, manage that hope so you don't get quite so hurt when it does fall over at the other end. So it's just nice to hear that there's a lack of that. This is this is good. It's good. Just jump jump on my hype train, man, and keep coming with me. I'm I'm going to slightly uh, pivot off that question from Don, which was actually a pretty good question, um, albeit a little bit cynical from obviously a, a fever person himself. Um, there is a question from Brooklyn that I want to come to that slightly more uh straightforward well not straightforward slightly more pointed what have you so far liked the most of how the men and the women's team have been playing i'll i'll you guys ponder that for a second because i've had a thought what i have loved about the men's team is how confident they are in the system they play to the system they trust the system they believe in the system and i think that that has been beautiful for the women um i think that the way that they have committed to their system completely different the 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 short pass the triangles the what are they uh, what's the term that temps uses for it small ball small ball the way they commit to that and when it when they do it accurately the success they have with it it's beautiful uh, i'm a purist i love these simple tactics applied well I'll I'll go next. Um, yeah, no. So I'm I'm pretty. I, I agree with you about the men. I think the key thing for me is the 
I, I don't know that I'd necessarily say the team, but I think it's true of the team as well. But the confidence that Chiefy has had in his own tactics, you know, there's a lot of a lot of coaches who at a goal behind heading into the 70th minute or whatever would be starting to doubt how things were going. But he's confident enough. He's got he just wants to stick with the plan and the goal will come. And it has a couple of times now. You know, we've we've nicked late points through just sticking to the game plan. And he has the confidence that, you know, longer term, what he's doing will produce the results. And so far, he's been proven right. You know, they haven't, they're, you know, you might say a little bit of the rubber the green's gone our way, but that's that's how it is in life. And and he's obviously confident enough in, in his setup and his tactics that it's going to come, and it is. So that's admirable. And I think for the women, I'll, I'll say something slightly different. So... Um, I've also been in, involved in women's club football for quite a while now. And, you know, it's, it always struggles to get crowds, even, even very kind of decent games of football struggle for a crowd. And I, I really like that this year, those games out at Poriru, we're actually seeing a pretty decent crowd out there who are not only um, turning up, but actually engaged in those games as well. You know, the results on field have been a hell of a lot better than they have been. But I think for me, the thing I'm most excited about for that women's team, the thing I think is going the most well is that it's actually engaging with a new community. There, are A lot of those faces are the same faces you see at the men's game, but a lot of them are people who are not coming to men's game and are showing up to watch just those women's teams play. And I think that's that's a great result. And if that continues, uh, that's only going to be a good thing for the sport and for the club. Um, there's another question here also, uh, Brooke. So I think it's a really good question Um with us trying to grow the fan base, obviously, as well. Uh, what would your advice be to new people wanting to come to the fever zone, but maybe too shy or not know anyone? I feel like we can all answer this because we we didn't know anyone when we started either. I don't think any of us were... I, I was mates with Cam, but he was in another country. Um, you, you just go, You just go along, right? Yeah, I, I think I think that's a great question they've asked. I, I think if you are wanting to be involved with the noise that's being made, but don't know anyone, take a friend along and go stand towards the back of the zone. And I think that in that way you can be in amongst the, where the where the fans are singing and making some noise and having a bit of banter, and uh, you're still you know with a friend, so not necessarily feeling alone. Going in by yourself can be quite a daunting uh, as, uh, task, even for someone who's an old middle-aged white guy like me, can you could still get a little uh, um, you know, daunted by that kind of thing. Um, when we first started going along for us, we didn't know any of the Fever people at all. I didn't know any of them. Um, and it was purely by just going in and saying hi to people and talking to people at the what was the venture and would now be whatever the pre-match pub happens to be, that I got to know anybody that's actually involved with it. And then you know, volunteering my time for stuff to help out the fever with that that's basically where all that comes from but the first the first step is getting in there and seeing the songs and the second step is make some friends talk to people people are all there the people who are there have this effectively the same kind of drive that you would by wanting to be involved by they want to be in there to make a better atmosphere to try and drive the team forward and they obviously care that's why they're doing it so i've always found the fever to be very positive uh, people, good people, to be approachable people and people that you can talk to and have a laugh with. And they may, we may all, they may have very pessimistic views on the, the Phoenix, which can drive me crazy at times. But the people there are welcoming, and they uh, will of, will take you in, and they want you to have as good a time as you want to have. So 
I can see how it's quite intimidating. There is me and Dave are sort of, I guess, right in the middle. Um, the rest of you are you know, elsewhere, but there is quite usually a, quite a bit of space in there. So if if you want to just jump dive in there, there's quite often people there standing by themselves. But the way to really get in is to go up to Patrick the drummer and say, "I like your drumming." <laughs> he will talk your ear off after that. <laughs> and usually I'm a, some, somewhere near Patrick and Dave somewhere the other side of Patrick. But yeah, I, I think just, yeah, if you can find a friend and just inch your way into the, into the middle and, and you'll be away after if, that. hundred percent. If that doesn't work, the opening line um, you can always try is, did you see that ridiculous display last week? Same old Phoenix trying to walk it in. <laughs> We're obviously watching different games. Oh, well, watching the <laughs> IT crowd. Yeah, Cam lives in a different <laughs> universe. Yep. Uh, that was a cracking question, actually. I, it's, um, I hope that anyone that kind of listens to the pod feels welcome to join in. Trust me, they'll, we'll take anyone. I look at the, the four faces on this pod and it's like I literally have taken anyone. If you if you yeah, like, say hi. If you see me and you recognize me, say hi. I'll always have a chat with anyone. So don't be shy. Feel free to come. I wear bright yellow shoes and a flat cap. You're, I'm hard to miss. I think that's true of almost anyone in the fever. I think I think if you are a bit worried about it, my advice would be show up a bit early and get yourself right in the middle of the zone and start saying hi to people as they come in. I, I can't think of almost any person who's in that zone every week who wouldn't say hi and have a bit of a yarn about football to anyone. And I often do almost every week have a yarn with the person next to me who I've never seen before. You know, There's always a few familiar faces and there's always a few new ones. But football's the universal language in there. I mean, Tracy's now friends with an eight-year-old because the eight-year-old turned up into the favor zone wearing a banana suit. So there you go. If you also, if you turn up and say you're a pod listener, they'll point you towards Dave and uh, Dale and say, blame them, and then you're away. You already know somebody new. So it's good. Yeah, true enough. I reckon we've got time for one more, Frosty. One more, you reckon? Um, what do you enjoy most about being able to do the podcast? For me, it's getting to- able to talk football. Um, my lovely partner who tolerates me in most things in life despises football. She used to go along to the Phoenix games uh, <laughs> because she liked very much like at the time, like drinking and singing. And then I came along and ruined it by watching the football. I thought you said you were, you were about to say that she liked you and that, and that stopped and that's why she stopped going. No, I ruined, <laughs> I ruined the singing and the drinking for her by watching the football. So that should I think you're being generous describing anything the Fever does as singing. Uh, I'm, she's got a good voice. She sung. I'm not saying the rest of us did. Actually, I think you're being a bit harsh there, Dave. Uh, I got some uh, footage of me on the sidelines on the um, on the weekend, and you lads are so loud, so so loud, and it was it was beautiful to singing. So yeah. <laughs> was it was it tuneful? Because I don't, I there's noise. Yes, I tell you, I tell you what. Next time I see, you, I'll play it back for you. You can decide. Yeah, um, I I love being on the pod because I get to talk football with my mates, and that's uh, obviously again not something I get to do at home. I'm in the same position as Frosty, where um, my lovely wife of 22 years isn't interested in football in the slightest. Uh, my kids. Yeah, daughter takes a little bit of interest because there's a women's team now, but my son prefers hockey and gaming. So, yeah, there's – and also with not being up in the zone, being on the sidelines and working every game, I don't get to do that on match day, which would obviously, you know, fulfill the same kind of um, 
of drivers doing this is. So yeah, for me, this is uh, it's cathartic to talk about uh, the the losses, and it's euphoric to talk about the wins, and it's great to speculate and talk rubbish and banter with people who have uh, like minds and a similar interest. There's a couple of things for me. I think one. I particularly enjoy when we have, and we should try to do it more often, but sometimes time gets away from us as, as guests and being able to have sort of longer term, uh, longer uh, interviews with them that they probably won't, you know, out in, in other situations because of, you know, other reasons um, and, you know, getting a, some of that sort of more detailed background and, and stuff, which I think I always find quite interesting. Others probably don't, but I think the second one, I think in some ways it's changed how I watch football a little bit. I, I tend to watch the games twice, the one at home games. Like I tend to watch the game and go, oh, because I'm, I'm trying to like understand the game or analyze it a bit better. So I think I, I just watch it a bit differently than just sort of watching it sort of blandly, um, trying to think more about, you know, what tactics and all that kind of stuff. So I think maybe that's kind of changed how I watch football as well. Yeah, be careful about that, mate. That's how you end up coaching your kids' football teams. No, they haven't got into it yet, so I'm all right so far. Oh, mine has, and now I am helping coach his team for winter because apparently I know about things. (laughs) Unspecified things, just things. They clearly haven't listened then. No, no, that's quite obvious. It's um, because... Dale um, edits out all the shit chat, so. Oh, you can imagine what, what how inspiring my team talks would be. <laughs> um, we are at an, just over an hour once Dale gets the editing done later. Thank Dale again, obviously. Um, so we'll wrap it up there. Um, just remember the uh, men are playing on the Sunday at 7 p.m., and the women are playing also at 7pm, uh, but this time against Western United. Um, so to park your two screens, watch to your heart's content. Hopefully we rack out six points from this. And uh, the men stay top of the table and the women can show that there's a bit of depth growing in the club. Apart from that, enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you all for coming along and giving your thoughts and time freely. And we'll talk again next week.